This is another episode of show called Media Camp, and I'm your host, Sergey Ross. My guest today is an introvert who loves figuring out how people think. She's also a founder of a company called Fixed My Churn and spent the last six years deep in the world of customer experience and research. Her name is Val Geisler, and she knows everything there is to do with email. Uh, Val, thank you so much for being on the show. Glad, glad yeah. to uh, connect with you. Uh, I'm so happy to do this. I, I love talking to other marketers and I love podcasts, so I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I've, I've, I've watched uh, so many of your interviews before just prepping for this call. And you know what's interesting? I've never actually got text reminders from guests about an upcoming interview. <laughs> so, 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 so that tells me really it's like, you know, like and you didn't talk it inbound and it said that they said you are ridiculously obsessed with onboarding. I'm like, you know what? It shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I like um you know, I love SMS and email um, in different, for different ways and different reasons. And I think like SMS works really well for those kind of in the moment. Um, you probably got that pretty uh, shortly before our call, maybe in, exactly. within the hour of our call. Um, so it's just like a nice little reminder because if you're not checking your email um, and especially, you know, depending on time of day, like it's just nice to get, I think you also maybe got it um, and email as well. But if you didn't check your email in that time frame, it's good to have the SMS. I mean, everyone's always looking at their phones. So. 100%. And actually, I do not check my email. Yeah, <laughs> so, so you are. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so you, uh, what, what was interesting about you, Val, I, uh, I've uh, heard a couple of your presentations. You were a theater major. Yes. Like, uh, tell me about that. Like, how did that kind of uh, happen? And then you moved on to do other cool things with in email and yeah. onboarding. I was a theater kid like my whole life. Um, that was kind of my extracurricular activity in school. Um, from a young age, I think eight or nine, I remember seeing A Christmas Carol with my family. They, my parents one year for Christmas bought us uh, tickets to see A Christmas Carol as, as a family. That was kind of like our big Christmas present was to go downtown to the theater in Columbus here and uh, get dressed up and um, go to the show. And so we were, because it was our big present, we um, had really good, like, you know, kind of orchestra level tickets. And, um, and we sat there and I just remember looking up at the stage and thinking, I want to do that. Like, I don't, I don't need to be on stage. I don't need to, you know, be in a costume. And, and I didn't necessarily mean the actors, but I wanted to be involved somehow mm -hmm. in what was happening. So I got involved in community theater and uh, did a lot. And then my high school actually had a really great theater program. Um, and so I spent a lot of time in theater there. I was uh, the stage manager at my high school, who's kind of the person who makes sure everything happens. Um, right. And, uh, and then within, I live in Ohio and in Ohio, there's a really excellent theater school called the College Conservatory of Music at the University of Cincinnati. Um, it's one of the top theater schools in the country, and it just happened to be in-state tuition for me. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so, you know, I did a lot of interviewing in different schools and and even different programs outside of theater. And I just kept coming back to this one, and I got accepted and um, went and majored in theater production um, and was a stage manager on multiple different shows throughout my the conservatory experience is different than a traditional university experience. Like I didn't take science classes and things like that. I took 
theater classes and shop and lighting and makeup and um, I learned everything about theater. Uh, how did that? Um, no, that makes sense. I wouldn't expect you to <laughs> to, to, to be to dabble in science, uh, especially after that that level of interest that you had. But how did you like? Why did you move away? Like, what was the what was the like the feeling or the point yeah. where you you were like, well, you know, maybe it's not quite the the direction. Sure. So theater uh, was like such a part of my life. And, um, you know, when you graduate from a conservatory program, there's nothing to do but theater. <laughs> so I, I worked in theater for many years after I graduated. And at a certain point, um, I got just kind of sick of moving from city to city. You, you move around a lot unless you are uh, with one particular organization for a long period of time. Um, especially when you're young in your career, you're just going, you know, I, I lived in four different cities in a year um, and that happened over multiple years. And I wanted like a, a consistent routine in my life. Um, so I ended up uh, applying for jobs as an event manager at various different locations and um, worked in special events at a botanical garden. Um, and so special events really taught me, I mean, it's a lot of the same skills, but then I learned more of the business side of things. Um, and I worked for Marriott for a little while. So I learned kind of big corporation and, uh, and then I worked for Lululemon, um, as a store manager, which is kind of like being a special events manager, actually, it's way more special events than retail. Mm -hmm. Um, and so through Lululemon, I learned a lot about how to run a business. They basically, when they, uh, launch a new store, they have store managers and they give you, you know, kind of the, the playbook and a budget and they say, here, go do, and you basically run a business. Um, and so I, and then the other thing that they do as a company is they say, what do you want to do? That's not working here at Lululemon. Like we want to help you, um, do what you want to do. And I knew because of all that experience that I didn't want to have like a, a boss, but I wanted to run my own business and, um, and create my, my life on my terms. And so I, when I left Lululemon, I started a, a, a VA business and I was a VA and project manager for a lot of different business owners. Um, and learned a lot about marketing, more, you know, even more doing that. I worked, learned about working online and remotely because to that point I had worked only in person with people. And that was over 10 years ago. And, um, you know, I've gone through iterations of that business. I'm obviously not a VA anymore, but um, worked in, you know, different facets of marketing and um, kept coming back to email. So, uh, mm. you know, coming back to email over and over again in every project that I worked on and even working in-house at a email service provider. Um, and I just, I don't know, email is something that's like, uh, there's this joke in the email community that um, none of us chose email, email chose us. And that's, <laughs> that feels very true for me. Right. But it's, you know, I, I've seen, I've seen one of the screenshots you posted um, during your, your, your presentations and it shows the number of onboarding free trial or uh, demo emails that you sign up just to, to see what's going on. And it's like, like, it's like 50 of them. And I'm like, wow, like if you mm -hmm. sign up for that many, just to, because hey, like, it, of course it's the work reason, but also I'm sure you're that I'm interested in like, exactly. Just curious. Like I've, I've never signed up for that many. So I'm like, well, you're doing exactly what you're 
what you want to be doing. <laughs> yeah. And actually, um, early on in, well, I guess it was like the end of 2019. So like, oh yeah, it was Thanksgiving, uh, right, right around Thanksgiving of 2019. Um, I signed up for every single at that time, presidential candidate, uh, email list. <laughs> <laughs> um, with a like separate Gmail account. It's not all coming into my regular everyday inbox. Um, but I just wanted to see what the campaigns were doing. And so like, I don't work in political emails or campaign emails and um, that's not my target market or anything. It's just, I'm fascinated by it, um, by the way all different kinds of businesses run email and, yeah. um, and especially like a donations-based business. How do, how do you operate your email campaigns? Um, oh, it's, it's got to be super hard, right? Like, how do you yeah. get the money from people over email? Uh, and and like when you're a nonprofit, that that's that's probably one of those really really hard things. Like, how do you? What do you offer them, right? Well, you build relationship, right? So, like, one thing I noticed in the in the campaign emails was there were certainly um, candidates who their email campaigns where every single email was an ask, um, without sharing information without, um, you know, any kind of give other than like, I will become your president, um, which is kind of, that's a long game, right? Like we have to mm. in, especially in email where we're showing up in somebody's inbox. Like I, I refer to the inbox as kind of the digital living room. Um, so you're just kind of like popping into someone's house and asking them for something instead of saying like, Hey, hi, let's talk for a little while. Oh, by the way, can I borrow this thing <laughs> from you? You know? Um, so, uh, you know, I, what I realized in over the years in, in marketing and then, um, was very much reflected in this kind of mass amount of emails I got in a short period of time with the presidential campaigns was, um, you know, it's really about building relationship and storytelling. And mm -hmm. when you are able to tell the story and show the impact that someone's donation or dollars, or whether they're spending it on a product or giving it as to a campaign, um, you have to show the impact and the benefits. And you can do that through telling the stories of other people who have bought the product, who have donated to the campaign, who have, um, you know, raised money for the gala. Uh, you know, the, whatever your main goal is for your brand. Uh, if you do it through storytelling, you get a much better reception from uh, from your subscribers than if you are only ever showing up with your hands out. Do you think, uh, Val, is, uh, is, was there any aspects from the storytelling perspective that stood out to you that were done a little bit differently? I mean, we know there's basic structure, there's the setup, there's a conflict, there's a resolution. Mm -hmm. It's like the, the most, the most basic, but like in terms of things that you've seen either from this presidential campaign or, or other campaigns um, that, that do storytelling, are there any aspects that, that they're doing differently that, that stands out to you? Like, oh, this is really interesting. I should probably consider doing that for my client. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, something I like a, a lot is when a story arc continues over multiple emails. Um, where you're kind of telling this long-term story. So each email has a resolution inside of it. So each section of the story has a resolution, um, but it's an overarching story that carries out over, and that could be, you know, five emails in a row. It could be one email every three weeks that continues the same story. Um, but I really like when there's this kind of tie that binds. Um, I think it gives some kind of consistency for the reader that 
it's like picking up a book that you know you're in the middle of and you you you've already read the beginning chapters you know who's involved you don't need to reread those um and you also don't want to read a new book every single day you want to kind of get through the whole book um so so there's that like it brings consistency but then I think it's also a very great strategic move from an email standpoint because you're by doing that you're training your subscribers to want to open the next email from you because they want to hear the rest of the story they want to hear more um and so they're going to continue to open emails from you which then um tells the inbox they want to read your emails which then increases your deliverability so it's like overall strategically a great move to to deliver a story over several emails um, or to find a way to uh to get your subscribers to open multiple emails from you or kind of right in a row um, it, it seems like a it seems like a concept of you know when you're releasing a book and maybe you're self-publishing a book just releasing it chapter by chapter right you're like yes. teasing it a little bit out and it's a similar sort of concept where like people they excited they already read it and they're like you said that they're familiar with this concept right they keep keep consuming yeah, it's, you know, it's not easy to do, um, but when it's done right, it can be really beautiful. So you did email teardowns and you're doing, you're, I'm sure you keep doing email teardowns. Was that, did that start as a hobby or you had a thought in mind like, hey, I can do it and, and it potentially can be a lead gen for, or a hey lead gen, but like as something as that attracts potential clients that demonstrates that I know about it yeah. or my expertise. Well, and that, that's actually what it was, is that I, um, you know, I was doing all these email projects, uh, whether I was in-house or, or working with clients, but um, I didn't really have, I was doing what the clients wanted me to do. And I had a lot of, um, you know, kind of ideas about what email should be and the way it should work. And I had done, you know, lots of research and education around email and I, I needed a way to show my concepts for email to the world without having a client project for it. Um, you know, at, at the time when I started doing email teardowns, I was, I had kind of what's referred to as like a whale client. So kind of one client that takes the most of your time. Um, and for that client, I wasn't necessarily always doing email projects and I knew that I really wanted to be focused on email. Um, and so I, created onboarding teardowns as a way to show my expertise because I didn't have clients that were paying me for those projects yet. And, um, and I knew that I didn't want to take on pro bono clients for projects like that because I knew right. that I had the expertise. Um, I also knew that I didn't have time to take on pro bono clients. I had a new baby and um, like, I'm not working for free when I'm paying for daycare. Um, and so <laughs> I, I had to find a way to show here's the kind of work that I will do when I work for you. Um, and so the email onboarding teardowns became a way for me to give a very clear example of, I mean, in some of them, I, I write entire emails. Um, uh, in some of them, I just talk strategy. In some of them, I built uh, flowcharts of, you know, the framework for a campaign. Um, so, you know, I took all of the concepts of what I do with my clients now uh, what we do at Fix My Churn every day now, um, I took all of that and broke it down into these blog posts that are free and published. And and at the you know at the time I was really working solely with SaaS businesses, and it's really easy to sign up for a free trial for a SaaS product and then get right. emails and do a teardown. So 
if I, you know, I, we do a lot more e-commerce these days. And so I'll sign up for an e-commerce email list. I've even done some like test purchases just to see what kind of emails we get from um, different brands. Uh, and so, you know, now that the business is a little more established and I have um, some ability to invest like that, it's easier for me to go in and um, do things like that. But at the time I didn't have extra money to go spend on starting a new, you know, buying a product and, and finding out what that email journey was like. I had to do what I could with what I had. So that was free SaaS. It's a great approach though. It really is, is, a, is, a, is a great approach. You don't have the boundaries, you experiment. And by the way, it actually also demonstrates that you're, you're really good at what you're doing. Um, with regards to these teardowns, how do you approach distribution? Were you, when you, when you started, were you just relying on your existing email list or have you thought about like, how do I get to which platforms should I be at? Maybe it's a blog post or my, my website, or maybe it's like social, so, uh, certain social, me social media platforms to get the reach. How, how do you think about that? Um, like how I, uh, reach potential clients and um, the right people, with, is that what you mean? Uh, with your tier, tier down content, right? When you're mm -hmm. doing the tier down content, you're publishing, how do you think about dis distributing it to as many people as possible for your, for your audience? Besides yeah. obviously sending it you know, over the email to your current list, maybe you're, right. you're putting it probably on the website, obviously. And yeah. then, but like, how, how do you think about those channels? Yeah, so, uh, my email list is really important to me. And so that's kind of the, the first place that I start. Um, it also, the teardowns became, um, you know, a, a list builder because now I have, uh, opt-ins on my website, uh, inviting you to get these free teardowns. Um, so, and then at the same time, I was also building my presence on Twitter. I probably had like a thousand followers at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I just, I honestly, like for a long time on Twitter, I felt like I was tweeting into a void. Um, and, but I, I, I was consistent with it and, um, people started to pay attention to the teardowns, to, uh, what I was saying, um, to my emails and, and I also created very shareable uh, ways for other people to go out and talk about my teardown. So um, they have like click to tweets in them. And um, I asked people on the email list to share them. Um, so I just making those very direct asks. Um, and then I also would um, build Twitter threads of here's like a breakdown, basically a, a Twitter version of the blog post, um, a short, mm -hmm. a shorter version, um, where it, you know, I was able to tag the business that I was doing a teardown on and, um, really, uh, build out my, the expertise on Twitter so that, um, people would then come to the blog. Um, so it's really been just been about consistency. And even when I felt like, I mean, even on my email list for a while, I felt like nobody wants to hear these, but then I just kept going. Um, mm. and, and people eventually did. And, and even still, I mean, I wrote the original set of, uh, onboarding teardowns in, uh, 2018, maybe January, like January through, um, June of 2018. Mm -hmm. And, um, and they still go out to new subscribers and they're still valid. They're still like, I would stand behind every piece of feedback I give in those teardowns today. Um, 
and they're still great lead gen tools. People still reference them all the time. Like there are people today getting um, my very first email onboarding teardown via email because that's part of my welcome sequence now for new subscribers. Right, right. Yeah, there's consistency matters <laughs> so much. And especially just like yeah. having this narrow focus, right? And not being on every platform, but just if it's Twitter, let's do Twitter, but like get yeah. deep into it and do it over a longer period of time. Yeah, Twitter's always been uh for me, like I I don't want to be on Facebook. Um and I'm only I only have an account there because <laughs> um I, you know, my family has group channels for kids photos. Um that's literally why I keep Facebook around. Um and and then LinkedIn is just like it's too much noise all the time. Um mm -hmm. too much happening on there. And so Twitter felt like a space where, you know, you kind of create like your neighborhood. Um, and I knew the people I wanted to hang out with. And so I reached out to them and built relationships. Um, that's where a lot of my relationship building started in my early days. You, you made some really great comments about being a solopreneur or just working this gigs and um, just working your own, your own thing. And we don't really have the time to dive into all of them. But there's one thing that I was really curious what you're going to say is you said that really resonated something uh, with me is that more work doesn't equal better. And you said like, mm -hmm. oh, if you do, if you get more work, you get more clients, then you could easily start procrastinating, you can start getting like stress and, and talk to me a little bit about that, like, why more work as when you are a contractor or when you are a consultant is not always a be the best thing. And you can maybe oh, talk a little yeah. bit about I mean, spe spe specializing because I mean, that's definitely kind of factors in, right? Right. Specializing is kind of the, the key to not doing more work because um, you get to say no a lot. Uh, so I knew that I wanted to focus on email. And so when I kind of stuck my flag in that sand, um, I had to say no to other things. People were asking me to write blog posts. I said no. Um, they were asking me to do copy for landing pages. I said no. And I got to just really focus on email. And saying no is scary as a as a freelancer or contractor um, because you don't know when the next uh, you know prospect will come through the door but I have found every single time I've said no it um, I'll say no to something that sounds like okay that could be interesting but also maybe it would be a pain and I don't really want to do it and there are definitely even today still times where I want to say yes but I say no and almost immediately, uh, I have something that's like perfect for me walk through the door um, right after I've said no. So it's always uh, been a little sign from the universe that I did the right thing in saying no. And uh, sometimes it takes a little longer than immediately, but um, I, I really believe in the power of like standing behind what you do. And I did a whole uh, talk at Learn Inbound uh, last year about specialization and um, how important it is and why, why it matters. So uh, that's like an hour if you've got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a great talk. Uh, like that one is, is really good for anybody who's a freelancer. It's, it's, it's some, some very, very good insights there. But what I think about... you can Google it. I think if you Google like learn inbound Val Geisler, it'll you'll see the video. Actually, we'll link it in the show notes. Oh, why, great. Like it, I, that would make a lot of sense. <laughs> what about the, but like doing more work, just like taking more work? Like how do you 
how do you like what criteria do you put for yourself for example you know how many more how many clients would you want to take on um not in a number but just in general and then how many at what point you'd say you know what i'm not going further than that because yeah. of xyz well um i have two young kids so they are my uh stop gap on like everything um so I have a limited amount of hours that I can work every week. And especially now that uh, childcare is incredibly limited, I it's even less. Um, so I have had to learn to rely on a team more. Um, and it's, it's actually allowed me to do, to serve more people by working with a team of really talented contractors in both um, copywriting and strategy and in research. So they, um, they support doing serving more people but also doing we all get to do less work so they don't have to go out and do sales and marketing um they just get to do the work that they're really great at and that they love because they don't like doing sales and marketing i get to go out and do sales and marketing because i'm really good at that and i love it mm -hmm. um and then we all get to serve more people through doing that um so by relying on other people it's been um you know, it's a challenge when you're used to running everything yourself. I mean, I haven't always run Fix My Turn. I used to run a brand called Val Geisler. So everything was me. Mm -hmm. um, and now, uh, now it's not all me. And um, it's still a transition. There's still learning curves for everybody involved. But um, learning to, and I think obviously like having kids, I've had to rely on other people. So um, learning to ask other people for help and accept it and, um, and know that it's a really good thing has been incredibly valuable in that, like figuring out, um, how much and, and how little and, uh, knowing like, again, that practicing saying no, even saying no to myself sometimes, like, no, you don't need to do that right now. You don't need to do another, like, you don't need to start a new YouTube channel or a, like, you, you know, all those things that we all want to do. Um, it all sounds nice, but um, being able to say no to myself has been really helpful. Val, it was a pleasure to have you. Thank you for sharing your thoughts uh, and insights um, and uh, coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. I could talk about this all day. So thanks for having me. This was another episode of Media Camp with Sergey Ross. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed this one. It was so much fun to make as always. You can find all the resources, links, and books and recommendations from the guest in the show notes. You can connect with the guest as well uh, by following those links. You can connect with me on LinkedIn if we are not connected yet, and I'd love to like comment subscribe all those things if you see this episode on linkedin if you see this episode somewhere else online i would really appreciate it thank you so much for listening to media camp i'm out i'll see you the next one